Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man. That's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry. I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus. The Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool. Only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Is This Real Life, a podcast that relates the quirkiest aspects of pop culture and reality TV to our own lives. I'm your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 51. It's just me today, and I'm going to be breaking down for you Vanderpump Rules, The Real Housewives of Atlanta, and The Real Housewives of New Jersey. But before we get started, this week's tea comes from Orange County, where David Bedore's girlfriend, Leslie Cook, was in a Walmart in Irvine, California. When you check out of a Walmart, They check your receipts and make sure that what is in your cart is what you actually purchased, kind of like what they do at Costco. But apparently Leslie was unfamiliar with this and was very, very offended that she was potentially being accused of stealing. She apparently screamed, do I look like someone who would steal? I live in a $15 million home in Laguna Beach. Is this a fucking joke right now? She ended up posting a video of the encounter on social media and actually seemed proud that she shamed the employees who were just checking her receipts at the Walmart. It just was absolutely horrifying to watch this video. Meanwhile, Shannon has lost nearly all of the weight that she'd gained in the last two years and is looking, need I say, fucking incredible. One of my friend's sisters was actually in Las Vegas recently where she ran into Shannon and a very handsome older gentleman, not Tom Girardi old, but you know, Silver Fox style. And she said that Shannon looked fantastic. So there you go. Meanwhile, things aren't looking as pretty for Tamara Judge in the OC, whose son, Ryan, has posted a series of transphobic posts on Instagram recently. It started out with a British tabloid who posted a story that said Britain's first transgender family reveals son, age five, is also transitioning. Ryan posted this on Instagram, and in all caps, he said, let's be fucking real, the world is fucked, completely fucked. His mom, Tamara Judge, seemingly agreed with her son's hateful remarks and posted, wow, that's sad. Five-year-old cannot make a decision like that. Then a few days later, Ryan used his social media platform in response to a Colorado 
baker that was back in court after refusing to make a cake celebrating a gender transition. And he posted, hopefully this guy goes on a rampage and kills whatever transgendered fuckhead took him to court. Oops, did I just say that? This country needs to kill off this fuckery bullshit. An interesting thing about the post is that he did not spell fuckhead correctly. So he ended up taking down these posts. And then on Monday, which was MLK Jr. Day, Tamara Judge decided to post on Instagram a picture of Martin Luther King Jr. and then a quote, the time is always right to do what is right. And she addressed the comments regarding her son's hateful and transphobic posts. She said that she was really upset that her son would post such a thing. She, you know, he knew it was wrong and he took it down. And she had a concerned mom moment that came from a place of seeing, you know, a five-year-old making a life-altering decision and said that her comments did not come from a place of hate. And at the same time, she apologized for that to the LGBTQ community, said she's extremely sorry, and that also Ryan's words were harsh and unacceptable. Now, this is not the first time Ryan has had run-ins with being unacceptable. He was previously arrested for domestic violence a couple years ago against the mother of his daughter and appears to be a general all-around douchebag. That's it for this week's Spill the Tea, but as always, if you ever have any tea, please tag me at Mandy Slutsker or at ITRL underscore podcast to let me know what is going down with the Bravo Liberties. Now, this week's Vanderpump Rules episode was stocked full of drama. It starts out with Billy Lee holding a brunch at Sir. James Kennedy comes up to Billy and thanks her for having his back. Now, at this moment, Kristen and Katie come in to just have brunch before going to Stasi's OOTD Day party, which we'll get into in just a bit. Billy Lee clearly hates Kristen, says that her energy smells like dog shit. Billy ends up going up to their table and confronting Kristen and Katie, telling Kristen that, you know what, I work here now, not you, and you're toxic, and James is my friend, basically is what she said. She does have a point. Kristen does not work at Sir, but she does come there often. A lot of her friends work there, and I think the cast often goes there to eat. Billy seems really upset that Kristen was trying to get James fired, and especially that she succeeded in getting James fired. But Katie points out, rightfully so, that Billy Lee has engaged in some of that similar behavior, saying that she pushed for Kristen to be banned, which is essentially the same thing. Anyway, that situation is definitely not resolved. So then everyone goes to Stasi's OOTD Day party. Now, OOTD stands for Outfit of the Day. It's something that Stasi's been doing for years that she talks about on her podcast. And every day on Instagram, she posts a picture of herself in her OOTD, Outfit of the Day. It's something that she's been so passionate about. She loves clothes. She loves fashion. She loves feeling good about herself and making other people feel good about themselves. She'd been doing it for so long. She actually did it when she was dating Patrick, but he thought it was really stupid. So she would hide in the closet and take pictures of her outfits. But she says that Bo is 
very supportive and he actually got her this really cute blown up letters like the hashtag and then OOTD which light up and go over her mirror which I think is super cute. So anyway, she talks about OOTD all the time, and Bo suggested that she make it a national holiday. So she went ahead and did this. So I Googled this, and she has a website. It is www.nationalootdday.com. So outfit of the day, day.com. <laughs> and it is celebrated on June 30th, created by Stasi Schroeder. It celebrates self-love and personal style by encouraging everyone to come Confidently post their OOTD. Now, before the party starts, Bo does ask Stasi about her mom, something that we talked about at length in the last few episodes. And she says that she thinks she needs a long break from talking to her mom. And I definitely agree. Her mom and her have a very unhealthy relationship. And I hope that maybe taking just a little bit of time apart, they can find healthier ways to engage with each other. So the party starts and Britain. Brittany is a nervous wreck because last week during the staff meeting, she spoke her mind for the first time, and apparently she's not able to do that. Uh, She said that she was upset that Lisa or the staff at Sir or managers were even considering money when it comes to firing James Kennedy, meaning how much money he was bringing in to Sir by DJing on Tuesday nights. And that, you know, what about her feelings and how she feels and shouldn't she feel comfortable coming to work? And I think those are all valid points. But Lisa just didn't really want to hear them at the moment. Then when Brittany approaches Lisa, Jax kind of makes everything a lot worse by joining in on the conversation and eventually ends up apologizing to Lisa because he used a bad tone with her. Now, Brittany says something really interesting in the confessional at this point. She says that she always thought that she made Jax look like a better person or look better just by dating him because she was so nice. She doesn't say this exactly, but this is what she's implying. But now that they're engaged and she's his fiance, when he acts like this, he actually makes her look worse. Now, I have no idea what the difference is between when they were dating and now that they're engaged that she would make him look better or he would make her look worse. I don't know if it's maybe now that she agreed to his proposal that she is complicit in his behavior. I have no idea where she's coming from with this, but just thought it to be really interesting. So after the OOTD Day party, All the girls go over to Katie's apartment to plan a girls' night in, which is going to replace See You Next Tuesday, which James Kennedy hosted on Tuesdays. And Jax ends up barging into Katie and Tom's apartment and complaining about how Lisa was talking to Brittany. And then when people were talking to him, he just kind of got angry and said, we're getting married. Everyone just deal with it. Because apparently, Brittany and Jax can't handle any criticism of their relationship. I know that they're engaged. I know that they're happy. But I think it's a lot to expect everyone to just be exceedingly happy for you and never ask any questions. Because just a year ago, he had cheated on her and they weren't even dating. It was crazy. Now, I understand that they have apparently worked through their issues, but to expect everyone to just get over everything after they were dragged into it for so long is kind of asking a lot. And Jax, he's 
he's older. He's like, what, 38, 39? Is he really completely changed? Will he never, ever cheat again, considering he has not been faithful in any of his relationships? So when Brittany gets there, Katie asks her, about what's going on with Jax since he just kind of yelled at everyone and stormed out. So Katie's like, what's going on with Jax? Like, why is he so angry? Brittany takes that personally as if they're questioning her relationship, not just saying, hey, what's going on with Jax? And she just starts spiraling. When are people going to believe we are happy? She gets angry. She walks down the hall just a few feet because I think they live even on the same floor of the same apartment building. (laughs) And then Jax rushes in after and is like, hey, why is Brittany freaking out right now? It's like, can they both just stop yelling and leaving the apartment? (laughs) And then Brittany's like, you know what? I'm not mad at anyone. I'm just really having a rough day. Which makes me wonder, is Brittany finally cracking? Can she just not take any more criticism of her relationship with Jax? Because when they got engaged, she thought everything from the past would just go away and everyone would stop asking them questions. I don't know, but that's what I think. So then we get into a really interesting scene. Lala and Sheena meet with Lala's acting coach. Sheena says she's gotten back into acting, and we get a little snippet from when she saw her agent again and said, well, you know, like, I'm 33, kind of implying, oh, I look so young. And they're like, yeah, so... You know, you can be playing like mom roles now. <laughs> you could just see her face is <laughs> like, I need more Botox. So Sheena and Lala go meet with this acting coach. It's clear that this is a setup because I don't think Sheena and Lala are that close anymore. So it's like they were both told to show up to do something together for filming as it just didn't seem as natural. And speaking of natural, acting does not come naturally to Sheena. When they were doing acting exercises and Sheena was role-playing, she was playing herself. She was talking about her divorce, the next relationship she was in, actual things that happened. But what she did do well was fake an orgasm, which is one of the most awkward scenes I have ever seen on Vanderpump Rules, and that is saying a lot. Lala and Sheena sat across from each other at a table and as part of their acting exercises, pretended to have orgasms. Sheena jokes that she never had a real orgasm until last year, so she had a lot of practice faking, which is, again, more shade at her ex-husband, who she was with for all of the years prior to last year. (laughs) So then comes the real beef of this episode, which is some serious beef between Billy Lee and Katie and basically all of the women at Sir. So Katie has this idea to replace James Kennedy's See You Next Tuesday with something else that'll bring a lot of people to Sir and drive revenue and tips. And that is to have a girls' night in where all the ladies from the show and all the female servers wear pajamas or lingerie and are supposed to celebrate each other and kind of make it a fun girls' night, an excuse to go out and drink with your friends. Now, when promoting Girls' Night In, Katie posted on Instagram and did not tag Billy Lee. Now, this was really triggering for Billy because she felt left out as if she wasn't invited to the Girls' Night. And being a transgender woman, she said she grew up feeling left out from girls' activities because she was born biologically a boy and was always forced to do the boy activities. Now, instead of reaching out to Katie or one of the other girls directly to share that her feelings were hurt, she ends up going on blast on Twitter. 
Twitter and insinuates that there is a girls night happening at Sir where she works and she was not invited because she is transgender. And then she goes ahead and likes every response to her tweet where people are basically accusing Katie and the other servers at Sir of being transphobic. So this sends Katie off. She is so mad. She's like, this has nothing to do with Billy Lee being transgender. It's because we're not friends and I didn't invite her to do the planning. It doesn't mean she's not invited from the actual party that we're putting on, which is at her work. She's working that night. She's there. Pretty much everyone sides with Katie, but Ariana says that she sees both sides. She gets why Billy's feelings were hurt, but says that her and Katie don't get along, so she understands why Katie wouldn't have Billy Lee come over to plan a party. I think Ariana is the only one getting the nuance here, which is that this was deeply triggering for Billy, but the issue that Billy doesn't seem to be getting is that she could have handled it much differently instead of making assumptions and going on social media and saying terrible things about Katie and the other girls. She could have just gone directly to them. This does seem to me, and I think to her castmates, that she was just trying to be messy and to get a storyline at the expense of calling Katie transphobic. Now, Billy and Katie get into it at the restaurant, which is just not the place to have this conversation. I just think they should have waited until the next day when people were calmer. And Billy accuses Katie of having cis privilege. Now, Lala thinks this is just awful. I can't believe she accused Katie of that. Lala does not know what that means. <laughs> and while these women do have cis privilege, it does not automatically mean that they were being transphobic. So Billy decides to go to Lisa Vanderpump, her fairy godmother, and tell her about the situation. She's like, I wasn't invited. Lisa's like, but you're here, darling. <laughs> And does really give her some tough love where she says, I hear you, I hear what you're saying, but this is a separate issue and it has nothing to do with you being transgender. And this is where Billy turns dark. <laughs> she says, Katie's always crying about her weight. I can't not be trans, but she can put down the food. Damn, girl. Then she says, when she plays the fat card, I'm going to play the trans card. Billy... You're showing your cards. All you want to do is create drama to be on the show. You're not actually friends with the people on the show, and you guys don't like each other. So there you go. Drama, of course, continues into next week. Now, a few of my favorite moments from this episode include when James Kennedy goes back to the studio to record. Lala ends up ditching him, but Tom Sandoval, who's basically James's babysitter, is there with his trumpet. Now, I have heard fourth graders who are trying the trumpet for the first time ever sound better than Tom Sandoval on that trumpet. It was hilarious to listen to. And the fact that he had his trumpet on last season and he must have watched the episode. I mean, it sounded awful and still thought it would be good to play the trumpet on film for this season. It just boggles my mind. Another hilarious thing is that Tom Sandoval goes over to James Kennedy and his girlfriend Raquel's apartment 
on Girls Night In because while he does want to support what the girls are doing, he also feels bad for James. Tuesdays were his night. He wasn't invited. And they all get in robes and like awkwardly sit and hang out together and then re-listen to Tom on the trumpet at the studio. Anyway, I thought this was a great episode. I am loving the season of Vanderpump Rules, even though most of the cast is getting along and the drama has been relatively benign compared to previous seasons. Production has just been so great, and it's just a lot of fun to watch. It gives me a lot of joy. Now, going to get into recapping Atlanta and Jersey. Now, this week's Real Housewives of Atlanta starts in a dungeon. Candy is shooting a video for her dungeon party slash variety show. Now, this dungeon party is about Candy making light of and making something positive out of the rumor that was on a couple seasons ago that Candy and her husband, Todd, wanted to drug and assault Portia in a dungeon in her basement. So crazy, I know. Anyway, so she's throwing this dungeon party, and Ava comes to visit her at the video shoot for said dungeon party. Now, the skirt that Ava is wearing, it looks like the cloth that you would put under your car when it's leaking oil. It was the most disgusting, old, raggy skirt. I I just couldn't believe she was wearing it. Anyway, Ava and Candy talk about the hibachi night and where Portia confronted Ava about her being messy and shady. Candy kindly tells Ava, you know what? You say one thing when we're alone or when you're alone with someone and you say another thing in a group. And basically, you do do things that are taken as shade. We all could use a friend like Candy. Then the ladies head off to Tokyo for a celebration of Ava's bachelorette since she didn't invite the ladies to her actual bachelorette party in Miami. Now, only Candy and Shamari are dressed appropriately for what I would guess is about a 14 or 15 hour flight. Shamari's in a tracksuit. It's got a crop top, but like at least it's a tracksuit. I cannot believe when these women show up in heels for a flight for a 14, 15 hour transcontinental flight. Are you kidding me? Now, everyone shows up with at least four or five bags. I think Nini had six, but only Marlo's bags were lost, <laughs> which is so funny because she is nothing without her clothes. And she's so angry that she's quiet and not even doing anything the rest of the episode. So they get to Tokyo and they're picked up and they're in this van on the way to their hotel. And Cynthia mentions that she was thinking about getting another tattoo in Tokyo. And Portia suggests, oh, you should get one to match with Chris. (laughs) To which Cynthia replies, who's Chris? Portia forgets Cynthia's boyfriend's name, which is Will. Definitely not Chris. <laughs> then Portia mentions that she matched one of Dennis's tattoos, which is a heart, a cross, and a dollar sign behind her ear. Candy jokes in the confessional that Portia's definitely not dumb since she didn't get Dennis's name tattooed. So then they get to the hotel and have dinner and meet a woman named Aya who is going to be 
their tour guide. Ava says they have to get a tour guide because she was arrested in Tokyo due to a quote-unquote cultural misunderstanding. They apparently thought she was a prostitute when she was really there modeling. Anyways, Aya, the tour guide, tells them that they need to be punctual and that it's a sign of great disrespect in Japan if you are late to things. So at this dinner, Ava starts out by saying, you know, this is a bachelorette trip. I apologize for not inviting you to Miami, especially to Nini. And I think I want to set the tone well for this trip, but I think it's important that if anyone needs to get anything off their chest, they do so now. So I'll start with Portia. (laughs) It's like immediately she just shifts away from this positive attitude to going after Portia. She says, I like you, but out of nowhere at the hibachi, you called me shady. You put me on blast in front of everybody. I thought we were friends. (laughs) And I felt that it was a character assassination. Ooh, those are some fighting words. <laughs> Portia gives examples of how Ava acts fake and tells her not to play the victim and gives an example such as you talk about Shamari like a dog. And then Marlo steps in saying, I heard you talked about me like a cat. Cynthia has to explain to Ava that meaning worse than a dog Ava, Marlo says Ava's extra nice in person, but talks behind people's backs. In the end, I think Ava just had to acknowledge, okay, maybe they have a point. I don't know. That conversation ended when Portia stepped away from the table with Nini and said, I want to tell them that I'm pregnant now. And here's my idea. There's a big gong over there. So we're going to ring the gong and then I'm going to teach the ladies how to say I'm pregnant in Japanese. (laughs) So the ladies find out that Portia is pregnant and everyone is really, really excited for her. They know how badly she's always wanted to be a mom. Then Ava announces about rooms, which we all know is a huge thing on Housewives trips. Who is staying where? Who gets the best room? Well, Ava is smart. She gives everyone the exact same hotel room so that no one's is better than the other. Now, the following morning, Ava gets some pretty bad news from her mom. She just lost one grandparent recently, and now her grandfather had a heart attack and is on life support, and her mom is saying she doesn't think he's going to make it. She's in tears in the confessional. She says that her grandpa was the son of a sharecropper, and they were very close, and she's just devastated that he will be gone soon. She ends up going to Candy's room just to talk and feel a little bit better. And Candy tries to comfort her, but I actually don't think Candy is the best person to comfort in this situation. She explains that she lost her brother at such a young age that she thinks she's really numb to death. And she also has this view, you know, that God takes people when it's their time, which is a view that I think is just, I can't stand it. So I would get really frustrated. But she does you know, hug Ava. And I think, you know, Ava feels a little bit better, gets it together so they can meet Aya at 11 a.m. to start their sightseeing tour. Nini is 34 minutes late and Shamari and Marlo are 47 minutes late. You can tell this tour guide is going nuts. She cannot even understand why people are so late, especially since the only thing she told them to do. So when they're on the bus, Candy tells the other ladies that they need to cheer up Ava because her grandfather Um, had a heart attack, he's very sick, and he's likely not going to make it. Nini mentions that she also needs cheering up. 
things have been going on with her husband, Greg, who's sick with cancer. Usually, her and Greg text each other when their flights take off. But she was texting before her flight took off, and he wasn't responding. And then when he did, he was frustrated with her and annoyed. And she says she wanted to go through the telephone and choke the fuck out of him. (laughs) Nini, always away with words. She's saying that she's kind of all over the place. Marlo is still pissy that her luggage hasn't been found, and especially that no one called and asked if she needed anything, such as panties or deodorant. Finally, everyone's on the bus, and they go to a temple. It's the oldest temple in Tokyo, and they're told their fortunes. While they're there, Nini ends up making a weird comment to Tanya about her partner, Paul, and maybe you'll marry someone other than him. At their next meal, which is sushi, which many of them actually don't like, how could you go to Japan and not have sushi, please? The situation of Tanya and Paul comes up, and Portia asks if they're married, and she said, no, we're not. We've never gone to get a marriage certificate. We're, But, you know, we kind of, we feel like we are. Cynthia says, oh, it's like a spiritual marriage. They've been engaged for three years. Tanya says this is her life partner. We'll be together until the end. Nini says under her breath, tread very lightly until the end. Tanya asks her, what does that mean? Nini says, nothing. Then Tanya brings up what Nini said at the temple. Maybe you'll marry somebody else. Why are you wishing that I would marry somebody else? Nini says, I'm not wishing a goddamn thing. I don't give a fuck. And they start yelling at each other, and then it flashes to to be continued. Now, it's pretty obvious what's going on with Nini. She is slowly losing it because she's been the main caretaker for Greg, who is sick, and it is weighing heavily on her, and she doesn't have an outlet. So she is just willing to take it out on anyone. And she is angry. And we see her storming off next week, threatening to go home early. It'll be interesting to see. Now on to New Jersey. This episode started off kind of slow, but man, did it end in a crazy place. So we finally get to see Teresa's fitness competition. She finally tells her husband Joe about it, and he's saying that he hopes she wins, and she thinks maybe he's changing in prison, because he probably wouldn't have wished that she won something before. (laughs) So sad. The ladies, led by Margaret, go to a jeweler to buy a necklace for her and get it handmade that in diamonds it says strong. We then get to see Frank training Teresa, where they have a really interesting conversation about Frank and Dolores, who are ex-spouses but still live together and are best friends. Teresa tells Frank that she's worried that Dolores is using him as a crutch, meaning she's not moving on with her life. Maybe she's just still holding on to Frank and it's preventing her from moving forward. And he says, honestly, it would devastate me if I was in her way preventing her from moving forward. He also thinks that he uses her as a crutch as well. And he says, there's nothing I want more than to see Dolores happy. And he plans to talk to Dolores about this. We don't see it later this episode, but I'm sure we'll see it in future episodes. Then we see Melissa and her two sisters and mom go out to dinner where the sisters plan to tell the mom that they think there is a love child from their father. So the sisters get the mom drunk before dinner and Melissa's sitting there sober and visibly annoyed. She says that she misses her dad, who is passed, but has a lot of anger at how he treated her mom, insinuating he cheated on her mom a lot, and her mom didn't always know where her dad was. 
Melissa has seen a medium recently who told her, your dad wants you to know that you don't have two sisters, you have three. They tell her mom this, her mom says, I don't think so. But Melissa really wants her mom's blessing to go look for this other sister should she exist. And Melissa's mom, so great, says, I forgave him for everything else, so if he had a baby, I'd take her. But her mother, that's another story. I'll kill her. (laughs) So great. So then we see Teresa and little Frankie get spray tanned. I didn't realize this until now, but apparently the reason they do spray tanning for these fitness competitions is that it makes you look more defined. So the actual competition is only two minutes on stage, and Teresa looks fantastic. She's wearing this thong bikini, parading it around in heels in front of everyone, including her children, showing off her ass. And she comes in third, so... I thought that was awesome. She said that for the first time in her life, she's doing something just for her, and she's more independent and loving it, which makes me think that she might end up leaving her husband, Joe, who's currently in jail and likely going to be deported after he finishes his sentence. So after the competition, the girls all go to Cabo to celebrate with Teresa, So the ladies are staying in three separate rooms, and Teresa chose them. So Danielle is staying with Teresa, probably because she's one of the only people who could room with Danielle and not want to kill her. Jennifer and Dolores are together, and Melissa, Jackie, and Margaret are together. Melissa, Jackie, and Margaret seem like the way more fun room. So at dinner that night, they give Teresa the necklace. It's that gold bar, and it says strong in diamonds. Jennifer seems to have forgotten that they were all going in on this and is really offended that they didn't go to her brother, who is also a jeweler, saying, you know, we could have had it made for a fraction of the cost. Margaret points out that her brother is a jeweler on Long Island and like, when would they have time to go there? Jennifer says, it would have come out better if my brother made it. And Margaret is like visibly frustrated. Like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about because I called you and told you and you said fine. Jennifer says she didn't think they were buying something real, thought it was costume jewelry. Marge is definitely offended by that. Jennifer says that the necklace is fucking ugly. (laughs) Margaret points out that, Jennifer, that is bad manners to say. Jen is so visibly drunk at this point. She says, then I have bad matters. I own it. (laughs) Everyone thinks that tequila is going to Jen's head and that she is acting crazy. Marge calls her the cocktail queen and comments on her lip liner, saying that it looks like a monkey's asshole. Now, I have not thought about a monkey's asshole in a very long time, but the visual came to mind as soon as she said it, and I could not stop seeing it on Jennifer's face. (laughs) Jennifer is screaming. Danielle pulls Jen aside to go talk because she wants to build another ally against Margaret. (laughs) And Teresa really wants to know, like, what happened between Margaret and Danielle, which makes me wonder, is she watching the same conversations that I am? She was at the wedding. She saw how Danielle spoke to Margaret. How can she not understand? She tells Margaret, at the end of the day, it's about loyalty, insinuating that Margaret should get over her issues with Danielle and be loyal to Danielle as a friend, even though Danielle has treated her terribly. Now, Margaret says, Teresa, I love you, but you have a bad judge of character. 
which Dolores and Melissa agree to as soon as Teresa is out of the room. I mean, it's so obvious that Teresa has a bad judge of character. Look at who she married. Look at who she's been friends with. But she clearly doesn't see it that way. And next week, we get to see them in Cabo. And I think things heat up again with Jennifer and Margaret. Again, I am just loving this season of The Real Housewives of New Jersey. I highly recommend everyone watch it. It is a fantastic cast, and Jennifer is someone that you love to hate, and Jackie's got a ton of attitude as well. They both bring so much to the show as newbies that I forget that they're newbies. Anyway, hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you all next week. So that's it for this week's episode. Please be sure to subscribe and follow on Twitter and Instagram at ITRL underscore podcast. See you next week.